Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. That's American meat delivered right to your front door. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, welcome to our special Father's Day edition episode. I am going to be talking to none other than my dad. We are going to be talking about fatherhood, what it was like raising me, because you guys told me on Instagram that you were curious about that. It is a sweet and even at times emotional conversation for both of us. We're going to be talking about what it's like to raise a strong-willed child and how relationships with your children can change over time, how the Lord can restore and repair relationships that may seem broken by his grace and through prayer and through a lot of work. But at the beginning of the conversation, I'm going to get him to break down some political and economic issues. It's basically going to be like you're listening into the conversations that we have on a weekly basis because I am always picking up my phone and saying, okay, dad, Biden did this. What does this mean? Or why is this happening? Can you explain this to me? He's always so quick to be able to break it down in a way that we understand. And I thought that you guys would be able to benefit from that, too. So we'll talk about inflation. We'll talk about gas prices. We'll also just hear his take on the state of the country and where he thinks this is all going and why he has hope for America. He is always much more optimistic than I am, which is another reason why I'm calling him as often as I am. So I don't spiral into this like hole of cynicism and thinking that everything is just always going to go to hell in a handbasket. So he's very positive in that way. He's also very practical and helpful. He's going to give some even some financial tips for you and your family as we're facing um, a, you know, a lot of struggle when it comes to inflation and high prices and all of that. So we'll get into that conversation. Before we do, let me just show you, since I have it in front of me, some new merch items. I told you guys that we would be getting new merch items and here they are. So we've got, you, already, you guys already know, I've got t-shirts that say politics matter because policy matters because people matter. I've got razor respect ruckus. I've also got Millennials Against Low-Rise Jeans, and I've got some other relatable t-shirts. And then we also have these awesome stickers. I've got the Millennials Against Low-Rise Jeans, if you are watching on YouTube. And then I've also got the Be a Salmon. That's, a, that's something that we say. Swimming upstream, everyone is going one direction. We at Relatable believe going in the opposite direction of where mainstream culture is trying to take us. So I've got the cute Be a Salmon stickers. These are also like really good quality stickers. They're unique, like the edge around them isn't completely straight. I know that might seem like it doesn't matter, but it does. They're super cute. Our design team here does a great job. But today I've got new stuff. I've got hats. So I've got the politics matter because policy matters because people matter hat. It's pink and white. There might be some different colors. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm trying this on for you. And then we've also got the we've also got the razor respectful ruckus. Cute. Ooh, I like the navy. Navy and white. Very cute. And then we've also got, this is another one of my favorite. This is green. It's got just like the relatable R on it. Super cute. Love it. And then I've got the share the arrows. That's another thing that we say when someone stands up, uses courage to stand up for something that is unpopular rather than cowering in the corner and saying, oh, I'm glad that I'm not the one getting canceled or bullies, bullied. You share the arrows and you stand up with them. Now I've got hat hair. And then we've also got, this is my favorite color, this light blue hat that says relatable. So we've got a lot of cute options for you. We've got the link to our merchandise in the description of this episode, whether you are listening or whether you are watching on YouTube. So you can check it all out. This is like a really good present as well. If, you know, your wife, your girlfriend, your sister, your friend, or yourself, you're wanting some of this merch, then this is just a really great way to treat them or to treat yourself. So make sure that you check all of that out. Okay, before we get into that awesome conversation with my dad, let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. That's a fairly new sponsor, and that is Eden Pure. Eden Pure makes these awesome air purifiers. And again, if you are watching on YouTube, you can see how small and discreet this air purifier is. This is called the Eden Pure thunderstorm air purifier and you just plug it into the wall so it doesn't take up any floor space and this stuff really works so it's not just covering up odors in your home it is like 
eating them. It's getting rid of the odors in your home by actually cleaning and purifying the air. So we're talking about the germs and the bacteria and the um, the smell that comes from litter boxes, trash cans, cigarette smoke, dirty diapers, all that. No one wants their home to be smelling that way. And you know what? It could smell that way and you don't even realize it because you're used to it. Then someone comes over and they're like, wow, their house smells like dirty diapers. You don't want that. So you need this really discreet air purifier to make sure the the air in your home is clean. The thunderstorm uses proven oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold a lot more. With over 250,000 thunderstorms sold so far, you know that it works. It's great to use in every room of your house if you want to. You can also travel with it. You know, hotel rooms can a lot of times smell bad or you just don't know who's been there. So you can just take this in your suitcase, plug it in, and then you can rest assured that the air in your room is clean. We have this filter at home. Absolutely love it. Make sure that you go check it out because I've got a really good deal for you. If you go to Eden, that's E-D-E-N, puredeals.com and use discount code Allie, you save $200. So that's three Thunderstorm air purifiers for under $200. It's an amazing deal. Go to EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Allie, EdenPureDeals.com, code Allie. Dad, thank you so much for joining us. Round two for our Father's Day themed episode. I told people to submit some questions that weren't just fatherhood centered because I said that you are really good at breaking things down in a way that we can understand. So first, can you explain? We already had Marco Rubio do this on Tuesday, but I want to hear you do it. Can you explain to us what inflation is? What causes inflation? Why are things so expensive right now? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. You know, I wasn't so sure after our last episode whether or not I warranted a return trip, but I feel good about that. And also uh, not to contradict anything Senator Rubio said, which uh, I'm sure he understands it very well. He's a very smart, smart man. But the the reason things are so expensive right now, most of it, most of it is speculation. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, Oil and gasoline consumption in 2019 versus 2000 to 22, which, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic is virtually the same in the United States. So we're, we're using about the same amount of gasoline as we used in 2019. And we're producing in the United States about the same amount of oil and gas that we produced in 2019. So why in the world then are oil prices for a barrel of oil four times higher and gasoline is at least twice as high. Well, we're most producing. Of that, sorry, I'm not supposed to interrupt. But are we? Pro- we're producing about the same amount as we were. You said yes. Yes, the United States is. That's exactly oh, right. Oh, I thought that we were producing less. No, it's not that. Those are those. Not, that's not what the numbers indicate from the API, which is the American Petroleum Institute. Now, they did. Uh, go, uh, President Biden did limit what we could lease from some of the federal lands yeah. and he limited the pipeline. All of that stuff did not have an immediate effect on our oil production. It will long term. But we're producing uh, roughly the same amount. And the reason that the prices of a barrel of oil have quadrupled and gasoline has doubled is primarily because Oil is bought and sold on the futures market. And what futures simply means is that what do I think is going to happen in the world? And if X happens, then what is what should the price of oil be? And I think if I think the world is going to hell in a handbasket and there's going to be scarcity, then I am going to be willing to pay more for oil and gas in the future. But I've got to make that decision today. And so people's speculation on the war in Ukraine, people's speculation on what might happen uh, post-pandemic with people's driving habits, all of those types of things have an effect on that. Unfortunately, what doesn't have as much of an effect as we want it to is what I just said is that, okay, if we're if, if it's a true supply and demand market and the supply is a, and demand is about the same as it was two years ago, then why isn't the price the same? For oil and gas, because it's a commodity, it's the same way with food, by the way. We predict people that are people that buy these large quantities of food. So they have to buy them 
on contracts that don't come to fruition until later. So a farmer needs to know that he can sell his crops in the future. And so somebody's willing to give him a contract today at a price in the future. That way the farmer locks in the price. Sometimes it could be lower, sometimes higher. And the commodities person buying that believes that they'll be able to sell that at a higher price. And so, and, and generally what happens is that these things run reasonably short cycles, all right? Obviously, the Great Depression was the longest cycle for something like this, but they run reasonably short cycles, and it returns to what we would call normal, where it what is a true supply and demand marketplace. And I believe that'll happen with oil and gas. It's not, it's not even healthy for the oil and gas industry for prices to be at $120 a barrel. Uh, that's not good because they know that makes everything else that they do and their employees do and the people they serve do uh, go up. It's, it's usually better, in my opinion, from people I've talked to, that oil and gas, a uh, barrel of oil costs somewhere around 80, 85 bucks would be a good price. And then the price of gasoline would be somewhere around probably $3. So that's kind of what's happening right now. I think you just have to wade your way through it. Don't panic. Um, and it, it will it will settle out. There's no question about it. The, you have to have fossil fuels. You're not going to be able to, uh, you know, live uh, right now off of uh, solar or wind or anything else. In fact, the thing that we should be doing is increasing the production of natural gas and exporting that as much as we can, because that's one of the cleanest fuels out there. Yeah. So I know you said that Biden's green energy policies aren't necessarily having an effect on the price of gas right now. But couldn't you say, or they're not having an effect on the um, supply, the production of gas right now, because we're producing the same as we were previously. But couldn't you say that some of those policies that he has putting in place, like, you know, refusing to renew some of those federal leases, that that could cause some of what you're talking about of these, of looking to the future and saying, oh, oh yeah. you know, we're worried that there is going to be a scarcity. And so we're going to raise the prices now? Like, does that make sense? Does that play into it? Absolutely. Because, see, the, the price now is based on what somebody speculating is going to happen in the future. All right. Just just like, for example, if you ever go to a gas station and from one day to the next, the gas price has gone up. You ever done that? Yeah. Well, happens they didn't day. get a new load of gasoline that night, probably. But yet the gasoline in the ground that they paid X for now they want to charge X plus. Well, they're charging X plus because they they have already been told through the futures market, which controls oil and gas prices, that that the price is going up. And so they're going to go ahead and get ahead of that. And they go up because of political decisions like what you talked about, what President Biden's done and is doing and what people fear they will do even more. Uh, I do think some of it will certainly slow down in November if Republicans take the House and or the Senate. And uh, I think you'll see a lot less of that going on. I don't think he will operate as much by the pen as he uh, as his as the uh, President Obama did. I think what he'll want to begin thinking about is what's his legacy going to be. Uh, and his, listen, and I don't know President Biden personally, but I have watched his career over my lifetime. Uh, President Biden wants to get deals done. He is not a idealist, in my opinion. Now, he's got idealists running his office and maybe they're running his whole life. Uh, that's something that we don't know for sure. But I do think if the Republicans win in November, then I think you'll see a much different uh, President Biden. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, why do you think, though? OK, so he says that he is not renewing some of these leases. He's not for the expansion of the Keystone Pipeline. He's not for, you know, the energy independence that we enjoyed under President Trump. And yet he is going to Iran and Saudi Arabia and begging them um, for oil there. So I'm a little confused about that. One, if we have the same production as we previously did, why would we need to go to Saudi Arabia and beg? And then also, if it's really about trying to get away from oil, fossil fuels, why would be, we be asking other countries to produce more? What do you think about that? Well, he's not necessarily, well, first of all, because I'm not sure that President Biden is making all those decisions. He cut a deal, in my opinion, he cut a deal right before South Carolina 
to say, okay, if you give me the if you give me this South Carolina primary and you get behind me, I will allow all of these what you and I would call and what most normal people would call far left ideas to come into play. And that's what that's what he's doing with the green energy and all that type of stuff. He's not necessarily going to Saudi Arabia and Iran to have them sell oil to us. He's having he wants them to produce more oil and gas because oil and gas is a world market. And if there is a place that is suffering because they can't get Russian production, that will affect the price of oil and gas back here in Texas because the because of the way that the futures contracts are purchased. So he's more interested in stabilizing the oil and gas market. And again, I haven't talked to him, but this is what he should be doing uh, in Europe than he is here. He knows that we have enough to uh, produce and consume uh, what we need. We became the largest uh, producer uh, a few years ago, and we have the ability to continue to do that with the technology that we have of being able to extract this uh, from the ground in a very environmentally safe way. Yeah, I do worry about the idealist that you talked about in his administration. I'm sure he doesn't fully agree with them. But like you said, I think that he cut a deal. He's probably controlled by them who have said openly that they don't want us using oil and gas. They want us on electric cars. There was this Democrat uh, congresswoman the other day who just recently said, you know what, I don't have to worry about gas prices because I charged my car and I drove all the way from Michigan to D.C. No problem. OK, well, electric cars are $50,000. If someone can't afford $5 per gallon of gas, are they going to be able to afford an electric car that's $50,000? Pete Buttigieg is saying the same thing. It does seem like this administration, Democrats increasingly, are totally out of touch like with what the normal average American can do a lot of Americans are just worried. How am I going to get formula? How am I going to pay for gas? How am I going to drive to work? How am I going to drive to get formula? Because some people have to drive across the state to do that. How am I going to afford the formula because it's more expensive? So as we're waiting for like the political solutions for this, if there are, like, what do you recommend for the family who is working hard but struggling to make ends meet because of all of this? Well, I, there's no question that and what, what the Democrats also are unwilling to admit is an increase in oil and gasoline prices is a regressive tax, meaning that it hurts the people that have the lowest income the most. Maybe not as much in a New York City or Chicago where they can take mass transit and the, and the transit fees are subsidized, but for the average American and fly over states, and, and increasingly in other states that are closer to the coast, like a, like an Ohio or Pennsylvania or Florida or a New Mexico or a Nevada, then this this becomes a larger larger part of their budget. And what I recommend for families to do, uh, I've we I've gone through this and and you know our mine and your mom's history and what have you is first of all you all you have to have a budget. And in your budget, you have to make sure that the essentials are covered first. That's the roof over your head. That's the power to keep your family warm or cool. That's the food that they eat. And that's the transportation to get you back and forth to work so that you can provide a living. Everything else, everything else, as much as you don't like it, maybe outside of, of, of what you give through your, your faith organization, everything else is optional. And a lot of it you might think is an optional, but it is optional. And those options have to be taken off the table when you're in a situation as a family that needs to cut back. And I know that's difficult. Uh, and maybe sometimes you get a second job and, uh, you know, you do some extra. There's certainly plenty of jobs out there. We have more jobs available today than we've ever had in the history of America. And so uh, that's what I would do. And that's what I recommend. And that's what uh, Lisa and I have done in the past. Tell me why, and I know we've talked about this, it's a little bit of a mystery, but tell us the analysis about why there are so many jobs out there available. And I mean, we've got a lot of people here, and every time we go to a restaurant or any kind of service place, service industry place, it seems like things are understaffed. They can't offer the same things they have before, or they say, you know, bear with us. We're in the midst of hiring. We can't give you things as quickly as we would like. What the mm -hmm. heck is causing that? Well, I think it's three things. Uh, I think, first of all, uh, the I talked to an, an economist that uh, used to work for the Federal Reserve for 20 something years. Now he's in private or for a private company. And he said that in the period from when 
let's say COVID started in early 20 till the time we got uh, to where we could, you know, at least function uh, at the, you know, towards the end of 21 or the middle of 21, normally you would have about a 1.4 million baby boomers leave the workforce during that period of time through retirement or whatever. That would be normal. That's what they expected. Three million baby boomers left the workforce during that period of time and just decided not to come back. Now, with the uh, the downturn in the stock market and what have you, maybe that'll change and they'll come back to the workforce. Uh, uh, invariably, that always does happen. But that, so that's one thing. The second thing is, is that I believe there is a segment of the population, Ali, that said we will do more with less once I realized what it was maybe like to stay at home with my kids or maybe uh, I, I went and started my own small business or something like that, I'm just not coming back. I'm not either not entering the workforce or I'm not entering the labor force in a way that is measured. OK, a lot of these self-employment things are not measured as well as, you know, if you and I get a W-2 and what have you. And the third thing is, I think there were many, many blue states, Democrat states that allowed the extra unemployment and all of those benefits to continue well beyond when they needed to. And in fact, some of them still continue to this day. And I think that's keeping people um, out of the workforce. And again, I do believe that that's one of the big, big reasons that we need to solve this immigration issue, mm. meaning that we need to have an immigration policy that first of all protects Americans, but also allows people from other countries to come in and work here, not necessarily get a become a citizen unless they follow the correct path, but to legally be able to come and work here. Because if we don't, if we don't do this, then those people are gonna go to another country and work and build the goods that you and I are going to have to buy. And we're going to be right back in the same shape we were before during COVID when China and other countries controlled almost all the supply chains for U.S. products. We need those people to be able to work here. We need our own people to be able to, to work here. And that's why we need better vocational type training uh, so that we can build and manufacture products here as opposed to overseas. Pausing from that conversation to tell you about our next sponsor, and that is one of my absolute favorite companies ever, and that is Carly Jean Los Angeles. They are a capsule clothing company based in Los Angeles. Carly Jean, who started the company in 2004, she's amazing. She shares so many of the values that you and I do. She's a Christian. So that's one thing I love about them right off the bat is that I know when I'm giving my money to Carly Jean Los Angeles that I'm supporting a company that isn't going to turn around and, for example, donate to Planned Parenthood. That's what a lot of women's clothing companies do. And I just can't support that. So if you want to support a clothing company that supports a lot of the values that we have, then you should be buying your clothes from Carly Jean Los Angeles. Super cute clothes. If you're watching on YouTube, I've got all Carly Jean Los Angeles clothes on right now. I didn't even mean to. I just, that's just what I pick out on a daily basis because I love their stuff so much. It's really simple. Like this shirt, this gray V-neck shirt that I'm wearing is one of the softest things that I own. And then I also absolutely love these jeans the wide leg jeans. I am into that trend. I'm not into every generation Z fashion trend that's out there, but wide leg jeans, I can absolutely get there. Carly Jean Los Angeles has a ton of amazing items. Like I could just buy and wear everything that they sell. It's great year round. It's great for whatever size you are or whatever stage of life that you're in, whether you're pregnant or postpartum. Their clothes just make you feel good, and that's what I love about them. They've got great customer service via Instagram DM, so check them out. Go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. If you use promo code AllieB, you'll get 20% off your first order. That's CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, promo code AllieB, CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. It's a little bit of a conundrum for me because, of course, I want to say, look, we should have the number of people here already who should be able to fill these jobs. I would rather Americans be taking the jobs than immigrants coming in and be doing the jobs. Not that I'm against that, but if we have you know a list of priorities, I want Americans doing those jobs first. And yet it does seem like um, Americans aren't taking those well, jobs in some cases. And also they're simply not enough. 
There's we're, we're not we don't have enough Americans. You don't think? Well, you know, you know, my mom had twelve brothers and sisters. You know, your grandmother had you know thirteen kids in her family. Okay, and and her and my dad had four. Okay, we have three, and, and it's just the generations. Except there's always anomalies to that, but the generations we aren't reproducing ourselves like we did in the past. Yeah, and that's just the way that some some segments of the population are certainly the Hispanic population, um, and 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 part of that goes with their faith belief uh, uh, in Catholicism and Catholicism what Catholicism teaches and what have you. But part of it is that we are simply not replacing ourselves. Yeah, that is a problem. And I think that comes down to a lot of different things. It comes down to just like what we think about life, what we think about family, what we think about priorities as far as pursuing a career or starting a family. I think women are doing that later and later. Some people are opting not to get married and have kids because they think it's just a burden or responsibility that they don't want to carry. Um, It does seem like the idea of starting a family has kind of been demonized. And yet you and mom did that. You started very young and you had a lot stacked against you and probably a lot more stacked against you than a lot of young people do today who are trying to decide whether or not to start a family. So take us back. I know you've already kind of talked about it in the previous episode, um, but take us back to 1980 and tell us what what it was like then what was the state of the country like then what were your thoughts about the Uh-oh. political state then were you even thinking about it and then what was it like starting a family and what odds were against you well it's interesting that you asked that and i haven't looked at it in a long time but i you know I, and a lot of your people will not relate to this but back when i was younger and in high school we had uh what we called an annual which was kind of a picture book of you know, the school year and what happened and each class had pictures taken and the sports teams and the music teams and the drama teams and all that. And then you would go around and you'd have your, especially if you were a senior getting ready to graduate, have your friends write in your book, you know, about, hey, you know, it's great knowing you, best of luck, whatever. But I remember I wrote a deal in my own book and I don't even know why I did this because I was 17, but I wrote a scenario worried about the economy at the time. Gas prices had gone up, uh, not anything like they are now, but relatively speaking, quite a bit. The Dow had the Dow Jones Industrial Average stock market had taken a hit. This was and Jimmy this Carter. Been, yeah, this was '78, so it was right in the middle of Jimmy Carter. So I must have had some awareness of that, even though my mom and dad certainly weren't political or anything like that. And uh, so, but I will tell you that it all worked out perfectly for me because 1980 was the first year I could vote in a presidential election. And that's when President Reagan or then uh, candidate Reagan gave his, you know, speeches that were so well received by someone like me, because I wasn't only looking for, as you know, my family stories of my, uh, you know, my mom and dad divorced. And that was a very tough family time for us. then because they had just divorced when I was like a uh, 16 or 17. And not only was I looking as all young men are, whether they admit it or not, or looking for mentors and guidance and, you know, where do I go from here? Um, and I never met Ronald Reagan in my life, but I will tell you the things that he stood for and the speeches that he gave really spoke and inspired me at a time in my life, which was absolutely critical as the next 10 years would prove. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was a good, it was a, it was a period, you know, I, I was born in Louisiana, raised in Arkansas. People always ask me, why did you get married so young? And I said, well, in Arkansas, if you don't marry your fourth cousins really quick, then you get down to the first cousins and there's issues with kids after that. So just FYI, my parents are not actually fourth cousins, everyone. <laughs> No, we're not. <laughs> Just to correct we're the record, not. they're not related at all. <laughs> that right. can't be I've said for married, a lot of people in I've Arkansas. I've been married 42 years now, and it's been it's been uh, nothing without difficulty, but been uh, a blessing. And one of the reasons it was is because, um, obviously, our faith, but also because we were willing to put action in those steps, yeah. not just wait for something to be delivered. And I think that's where most young people make a mistake is they're looking for the perfect situation or they're looking for something to just be handed down to them. And, you know, one of my, you know, I've got a 
I've got a book that I'm working on, hopefully going to come out sometime. And it's going to be titled, I believe, Life Lessons from the Little Red Wagon. And it's really just about the basics of life that sometimes you're going to be a puller. Sometimes you're going to be a pusher. And sometimes you're just going to be the cargo and somebody helping you along. And so I think that's really important for dads and and moms and everybody to learn. But when you're getting started, I don't care what age it is, you got to be willing to take the next uncomfortable step. And if you're waiting for everything to be comfortable, then uh, you're probably not going to accomplish very much. And not just talking about money. I'm talking about when you look back on your life. But speaking of money, you and mom did face a lot of financial hardship or just challenges in the beginning because you were young, you didn't have any money, and it may not have been the same economic scenario that people are dealing with today. And yet it's it basically comes down to the same thing. As you said, kind of starting a budget and being disciplined in what you spend. But if you could look back at that time when you were before you were really, you know, making any money, what are maybe some mistakes that you guys made, not just as far as how you spent money, but how both of you dealt with money, talked about money? And what are some things that you're thankful that you did, you know, before you started your own company and all of that? Yeah. Well, first of all, one of the things I'm the most thankful for, uh, and I really don't know why it ended up like this, but we never lived beyond our means. In other words, we never found ourselves in a situation to where, oh, my gosh, I cannot, uh, you know, I'm going to get I'm going to get foreclosed on or I'm going to get a note called or they're going to come pick up my car or anything like that. And again, you're right. I mean, when we when we started, uh, when I when mom and I got married, I think I made seven hundred dollars a month. And even if you inflated that up to today, you'll still find when you do that, it's pretty disappointing. Yeah. Um, so so one of the things that we did, and I would say it's the very most important thing is what we talked about earlier, live within your means, uh, make a list of things that before you go to the store so that you don't, you know, buy things that you shouldn't have. Uh, you have to make sure you have to understand that just because somebody else has it doesn't mean that you get it. And that's very difficult. Mom and I have made mistakes in that area before. We had friends that were about our age. or Well, I would say they're a little older than us, uh, and, but they, you know, they made more money than us. And so they could have some things that we didn't have. And sometimes mom and I would go buy some things that we couldn't afford and we shouldn't have done it. Uh, and we always, you know, paid for them and, and took care of it, but it probably set us back on our ability to accumulate assets when in our early years. And this is, this is a point that people need to understand at every stage of your adult life, you need to be accumulating assets either through your 401k plan or your private savings, preferably both. Okay. Or you need to, you know, have, uh, real estate, those types of things. I'm not just talking about your home. I'm talking about other things. What mom and I did probably for the first, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years of our marriage probably is every time something would happen good financially for us, we would just increase our lifestyle Mm -hmm. up, up to that point. And you just should not, that was a mistake because it put us behind the eight ball Mm -hmm. in accumulating assets. Now, Things worked out really well, and and certainly the Lord blessed us as our as we started a company and it grew and all that type of stuff. But as I and and, and you you know Allie, we we everyone doesn't matter if you're Allie or whomever it is who listens to this. You all have family members that did just what Lisa and I do did, and you've got family members that are still doing that today. They may be in their sixties. I certainly do, and uh, it's very disappointing. So I'm just encouraging you. Certainly do what. That that I have family members that oh. that to this day, you know, are living on the edge financially because they never spent any time accumulating hmm. and you have to accumulate and you have to do that at every stage of your career. Do not increase your lifestyle such that it consumes everything that you have. And if that's happening right now, um, I would encourage you as fast as you can to cut back on that and begin accumulating assets. Because when you go through a period that we're going through now, you'll be a lot less stressed about it. You'll understand it's a cycle that happens. They always happen. And that on the other side, it will be better. In fact, there may be some great opportunities 
for you to be able to make an investment uh, at the right time when uh, when when things are don't appear to be going well there out in the world financially. I always appreciated growing up that you and mom, even though I'm you know very thankful for the life that we had, I never had to need for anything or really want for anything, which was different than how you guys grew up. But one thing I did appreciate in the midst of that is that you guys didn't put a lot of value on fleeting material things like brand names. Mom is especially good at this. She didn't, you know, she didn't pressure me to wear, you know, certain brands or really care about that at all. If I did care about it, it was because someone at school was wearing it. And of course, uh, you know, yeah, that that kind of just happens. That comparison trap happens. But mom really never emphasized that. I think that makes a really big difference that makes a big difference for your children if when they are looking to you to kind of set an example they're not seeing people that are constantly trying to keep up with the joneses because that's a mentality that i think um can very much be inherited so mom i mean she's a very prudent person i know you credit mom with a lot of the good things that we have in our lives a lot of good things that we have um as a family when y'all first started dating, 18 years old, and then y'all got married at 19 and 20, I know you couldn't have foreseen what a great life partner she would be, but what was it? What were some characteristics in her that made you realize, yep, like this is the person that I want to be by me forever? Well, I, I think Allie, um, instinctively, and I don't know how, okay, so it had to be instinct. I didn't. I don't think I had any training in this. I knew that I needed a partner that was going to compliment me, not compound me. And if I had, and she needed the same thing, is where I was weak, she was strong and vice versa. And I sensed that. I really did sense that in Lisa uh, just early on. It was just one of those things where when it you know, when it when it's right, it's right. We never had to really we never had to really push it, I don't think. And what I also learned about mom is that mom is not, you know, I'm I'm a little bit someone that if you uh, dare me or push me or something like that, I'm going to that's that's going to get under my skin. And mom and that's not really? right necessarily, yeah. by the way, that, I don't that's know what that's like at all. Right. But uh, but mom never, never, ever. She just not like that. You know that she is she she is one that uh, wants resolution through discussion, compromise, those types of things. The other thing about mom, you know, mom's not a financial person. That's not her. That's not her deal. But and listen to this closely. She is a terrific money manager. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Mom somehow has an instinct for knowing what she should prioritize her funds on. I have, she had, Lisa hasn't had uh, any budget from me in probably, I don't know, 25 years, right? But I never have to worry about her overspending. She just is not that way. And I know so many uh, people have one spouse or the other that it's a constant Conflict. Now, mom and I would would have conflicts over finances when we early on, we didn't have the money. I'd want to go play uh, softball with an out of town team. And at the time, that might cost me 30 bucks a weekend to do. And we probably didn't have an extra 30 bucks or or mom wanted to maybe do something else. And, you know, each of us saw those things that we wanted to do as equally important. Now, I will confess to you that usually what mom wanted to do was to you know, add something that would benefit our family, not just her. And I was a lot less like that. And uh, I regret that and embarrassed by that. But it, it, but it's the truth. And if I had advice to give it would to dads, it would be, you know, when, when you when you put the ring on the finger of your spouse, then you then become third in that relationship. First should be God. Second should be your wife, and then you come after that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that um, for a lot of people, and certainly was for me, uh, hard to do. But I will tell you, once we figured that out, both of us actually, although mom didn't have the challenges I did, uh, it, it just made things just take a big, deep breath 
um, and relax. Another break to tell you about our third sponsor. That's this awesome product, Relief Band. So if you are suffering from morning sickness, maybe you're in those first trimester woes and the only thing that sounds good right now is a buttery biscuit. Man, I have been there and you feel like every time you eat, you're just not going to be able to keep it down. You want that nausea to go away. You should try out Relief Band. Or if you struggle with Uh, nausea from anxiety or motion sickness when you're traveling, try out Relief Band. It is completely drug-free. It is a device that you wear on your wrist that stimulates a nerve that tells your brain to tell your stomach to stop getting nauseous. It's the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, morning sickness, chemotherapy, so much more. That's actually how it started. It started 20 years ago. They tried it out on chemotherapy patients who, you know, were getting sick from their treatments and it helped them stop throwing up the food that they were eating, which I mean, that can be absolutely life-changing, especially if you're going through something like chemo, but it can also be life-changing for you. If you avoid the car, you avoid traveling because you know that you're going to get nauseous, this can change the game. My sister-in-law has used uh, Relief Band because she has motion sickness when she gets in the car and it has changed the game for her. 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy, all-natural, long-lasting relief. If you go to ReliefBand.com, You can use my code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use my promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. Reliefband.com, promo code Allie. Well, certainly one of the greatest gifts that I was given, and still, I mean, it pays off to this day, is having parents who are together and not just together as roommates, but parents who have loved each other and who still love one another. I think that we don't think about as adults how much that benefits you, but you as someone who had parents that got a divorce, I'm sure in some ways, maybe that still affects you to this day. And on the other hand, having parents who are together, who complement one another in more than one way, um, it really does make a really big difference. So that that alone should be encouragement to people out there is that marriage isn't always easy. The things you go through aren't always easy. Sometimes it is more work than ease, but the foundation that you are giving your children through a unified marriage, it just can't be underscored enough. No, that's no, that there's, I don't think there's any question that, and, and we know this through all of society. One of the biggest challenges that we have in America is the fatherless homes. And part of what causes that is the way our government assistance program works in that they they actually incentivize, maybe not on purpose, but they incentivize uh, moms to be single moms because if the dad comes in the home, they're going to lose a lot of their benefits. And so these boys grow up and girls, but think about boys for a minute. Uh, they grow up without a, without that type of figure that's in there every day. And it's not that they, not even that the dad is doing anything spectacular every day. He's just in there every day. And I think one of the things that certainly you knew about me, I traveled a lot less when you were little than I did with the other boys, is that is that I was going to be there. That, you know, it, 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 if it was important and uh, some, a lot, most of the times, even if it wasn't, I was going to be there and your mom was too. And I can't tell you how important that is. I know in my own life, when I was in high school, uh, you know, my my family is really a family of musicians primarily. My younger brother and I are more sports-minded people. And I'd say that we were average to maybe slightly above average athletes. And But sports was really important to me in high school, and that's where I put a bunch of my energy well, that's also the time that my mom and dad were having lots of challenges. They were obviously on their way to divorcing. And I can't tell you how many things that my dad didn't come to, you know, uh, just because of what they were going through. And it still makes me sad to this day mm-hmm. because not only does it make me sad for me, because that still is there after all this time. And it makes me sad for him, too, because I see the joy that a dad has when he's able to participate in his children's lives. I mean, Justin and I, your oldest brother, just played in a member guest kind of father-son type golf tournament. 
And, you know, I don't care if we win, lose, draw, whatever, this spending three, three days with him, just doing stuff that you enjoy and making those memories is more important than anything else. And that's why it's so important for moms and dads to stay together. Because when you're, even when you're divorced and you have a good relationship, and I know a lot of people listen to this have that, that statistics tell us that, that, that 50%, you know, people are divorced. It doesn't work the same. I guarantee you, if you ask your kids, unless the, the father or the mother was abusive, they want the mom and dad to be together in the home. And dads, we have a commitment to do that. That ring, the, the reason that ring circled is for a reason. It's not just to fit on the finger. It means that there's no beginning and there's no end to your relationship with your wife. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are listening. They've got their a parent of a teenager and they're thinking, well, me and my teenager, we're not close right now. They're afraid that, you know, they're not going to have a close relationship or maybe they feel like they haven't been a great parent. They haven't done enough to disciple their kid or, you know, make sure that their kid got a Christian education, whatever it is. Parents of older kids can maybe have regrets. Um, and of course, people listening to this podcast want to hear what it was like raising me. And of course, we could spend a long time talking about that. But if you could take us from, of course, love the story of you guys didn't know that I was going to be a girl. I've got two older brothers. Take us to the beginning point when you when I was born and you found out that I was a girl, what that was like, and then how our relationship has kind of transformed over the years. Of course, just an overview of all of that, but take us to the first point to now. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing was is that, uh, and this was 1992 when you were born. Yes. Okay. But uh, I'm not supposed to say that. No, no, that's fine. I just wanted to see if you could remember what year I was born. No, no, no. I was thinking about when we saw the sonogram, because back then sonograms were pretty early stage. And so we did have a sonogram done. In 91, yeah. In 91. And we were with some good friends of ours, Neil and Deanna, you know them. And we were looking on the deal, trying to determine, right? And and mom and I would kind of look halfway, because a lot of ways we didn't want to know, right? We still want to be surprised and all that. but. And that she was probably what maybe five months pregnant at the time somewhere to get the sonogram. Yeah, somewhere probably. Uh, but from that point on, the doctor absolutely knew, absolutely. And, and Lisa had been going to the same doctor for a while, so knew knew, knew him. And when you were born, uh, the day that you were born, first of all, we thought you know you were the third, but you were seven years after our last one, and we thought we remembered how that went, uh, but. We went to the hospital pretty late at night. It was 10, 1030. We had to have some friends come over and help stay with the with the kids. And and uh, you were born early the next morning. I mean, you're almost born on, you know, the day before early the next morning. I'll never forget, though, when when uh, we were when the doctor was there and he said, it's a girl. Um, how mom and dad, how we were just so excited and the, and the funny thing was, is that the the nurses and the doctor were so excited because they had known it, you know, for four months. And so it it was a journey that uh, we were started down the road again, came home um, uh, and, um, you know, started our life. Uh, there's some funny things that happened along the way, uh, you know, when you when you're. Uh, uh, when the when your kid when you've been away from having kids waking up during the middle of the day you night and all that type of stuff you're like oh my gosh what did we sign up for again yeah um, and you know we the boys were active Justin was in sports Daniel you know by that time we knew that uh, he had autism so we were working with him on all of that stuff and 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 it, that was difficult but you, mom just packed you up and took you wherever we went uh, except for almost we didn't yeah. Almost. You so we're headed on a va- family vacation with my mom, who Allie uh, called Grandma Dot and Grandma and um, two boys. We had a big old suburban and, you know, we get everything packed up. It's going to be a cross country trip. And so we get in the car, get ready to go. 
Lisa and I look at each other saying, did you get Allie? Did you get Allie? So we go back in there and Allie's in her room, in her crib, you know, not crying or anything, just what are we, what's going on? So anyway, it all, uh, it all worked out, but I can't believe we drove that far with a young baby. I think it was when we went to DC. Maybe I can't imagine that from Texas to DC with a, with an infant. Okay, it is time. It is time once again for me to tell you about Good Ranchers, which delivers American beef, chicken, seafood right to your front door. We eat Good Ranchers multiple nights a week, not just because it's convenient, because we just get the meat. It's individually wrapped, vacuum sealed. We it, it delivers on dry ice, so we just put it in the freezer. And then we've already got one part of our meal already chosen for us every night, but also because we love it. I mean, it's high-quality meat. I also love that we are supporting farms, American farms and ranchers. That's an industry that has just been decimated over the past 10 years as we rely on manufacturing and food supply from other countries. So if you care about putting America first, if you care about high quality meat, we're talking ethically raised, sustainably sourced, really good food. If you also care about getting meat that has not been drastically uh, affected by inflation, so getting affordable meat, then you should be getting all of your meat from Good Ranchers. If you haven't gotten your Father's Day gift yet and you're looking for a belated gift, this could be a great option for you. It's a great birthday gift, or it's just great to get for the summer because you like grilling out. This is a great uh, box to get maybe for the 4th of July if you're having people over to grill steaks in your backyard. With my link, goodranchers.com slash alley, you get two free 18-ounce center-cut ribeyes with your order for free. Also, if you subscribe, so you get that box of meat every month, you get $25 off each box. That's how much you save. So awesome deal. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie or use code Allie at checkout for those two free 18-ounce ribeyes. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. You know, another, what I would consider a funny story along the way is, and I can remember, Allie, Beth, you probably don't remember this, but I remember exactly what car we had at the time and exactly where we were. And you, and you were five years old, five years old. Now think about five years old. And we were arguing about something, which might not be that of a surprise. Was arguing normal for us at that point when I was five? Well, I think by the time you were five, it was me trying to set your boundaries, probably inappropriately, you know, on how you could conduct yourself with mom and I. Right now, mom wasn't near as worried about it. In the sense that I thought that I was in charge and you were telling yes, me that I'm and not. That, and if things didn't go your way, that just, that just, we must not be that bright if you didn't see it your way. You know, you didn't say that, but, but that's anyway, we argued over something. Sentiment. Yeah. We argued over something. And, and I, I think as I look back on it now, I absolutely believe I was making a mountain out of a molehill, which I had done more than one time. And there wasn't really an answer to what I was upset about. And and this is how this is one the day I knew how smart you were is that you said, well, dad, what do you want me to do? And it was like five years old. I'm like, first of all, I don't want you to ask that question. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> in my mind. And uh, I mean, I dropped it right then. But I knew then I said, this is one very intelligent, very insightful purpose. You had figured out in your five-year-old mind that we had gotten to a point that wasn't logical. And you may not have processed it like that, but that's what had happened. And you just said, what do you want me to do? You know, in a very strong tone. So it's kind of funny along the way. But anyway, uh, so it, it was, you know, I, th- I think me, Justin and Daniel were not strong-willed kids, okay? They were much more get-along, go-along um, type people. They're a lot like mom. It was pretty clear early on that you had a very strong-willed mind and that you felt that you, just like I did when I was your age, you felt like you understood the world mo- better than most people around you. and. Probably was true, although I think you and I would both admit that we couldn't process things maturely at the time. Okay, we didn't we didn't understand how we didn't understand how to have a mature thought process. We could we could be very intelligent and figure stuff out through deductive reasoning or logic or whatever, 
but we weren't putting the rest of it through our brain that makes wisdom and good decisions. And so, you know, through the years, obviously you and I had a lot of conflict about that. And, and when I, you know, compared to what other families go through in conflict, I, I probably am maybe overstating it, but, but I, I do think it was, it had the potential to ruin our relationship long-term and it, it, without your mom, it might very well could have. Yeah. And so it just was just, it. yeah, just so people know, it was just, we argued a lot when I was in high school, me thinking that I knew more than I did. Maybe you sometimes making a mountain out of a molehill, but both of us probably testing boundaries, trying to understand what those boundaries should look like. Me wanting to be unconditionally trusted. You realizing I couldn't be unconditionally trusted, but maybe you should have trusted me more. So there's a lot of back and forth and Yes, mom was a mediator, which probably was an unfair place to to put her in. And yet, because she is a peacemaker, she did that. And through, I think, probably a lot of her prayer, you and I, our relationship improved so greatly when I was a senior in high school, but also when I went off to college. I think it was prayer, the grace of God. I think both of us probably changed. I definitely grew up and matured a lot from that independence, but um both of us, I think, kind of softened during that time. And our relationship really grew in college when I was in college and is still very strong. So I just want to encourage parents, like if you've got a kid, strong-willed kid, whatever, the relationship seems divided or strained. And you're like, wow, this rebellious 16-year-old, there's no way that I'm ever going to be friends with him. You never, you do not know what the Lord can do and what time and space and growth can do to a relationship, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one of the things that that um, I think I did some of the time, but I didn't do as much as I should have is, is when you're when you're having a disagreement with your 16 year old or 15 year old or set whatever it is. Uh, and you want to make a point because, listen, parents, you're in the dominant position. OK, we get all that. Um, and you can you can make a point in a way that will obviously get your point across. But what I want you to do is think about whether or not that point is going to be something that the way you did it, not what you said, but the way it was done 10 years from then. So when she's or he's 26 or 27, is he is that the way in which you made that point still going to be eating on him or her? And that can have hugely negative long-term relationship issues that are very, very hard to overcome. In fact, mainly impossible. You know, I think, Allie, you're right. When you went off to college, my I was in a different position in my life at the time. Um, I had just gotten to the point where um, I uh, could have a little bit more flexibility and the pressure of building the business and whatever I had other, I had partners that were helping me with that. Uh, mom and I obviously were in a, in a really good spot. We, we felt pretty good about Daniel and where he was kind of going as well. Uh, Justin had, uh, uh, you know, had, had gone off and uh, had gotten married at the time. And so things were moving forward for us pretty nicely. And then, and that's, but that was just part of it. The counseling we had gone through in high school had helped a lot for me, helped me a lot. And then when you got to college and you decided on your own, okay, as an independent woman, and listen, as people know that read your book, you made some mistakes, okay? We all make mistakes. But the core of your faith and your belief, not only in what mom and dad did, but who we served, you know, and how you had that to fall back on. You had the core faith to fall back on, even when we strayed from that. And then you got involved in some really good things at college too, that who knows if we didn't know that you were going to do that, or you didn't know it either when you went there, you know, uh, whether it's helping out with the special needs or you had a, you know, a group of girls that you did some Bible study stuff with um, and found a church just that you liked and all that. Our relationship yeah, it's been one of the big, big joys of my life. It really, and I still marvel at you today because you definitely 
quickly got the wisdom part down and you kept the other strong willed part, but also uh, have a heart that that uh, reminds me of your mom. Well, thank you. And That's good. yes, that is. I mean, I'll take that as a compliment because we both know how soft hearted mom is. And I'm a lot I'm a lot like you. Everyone knows I'm a lot like my dad and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the different components of my mom and dad that I got. And there's just no better foundation than parents who love you. And just to encourage parents out there, that is not me. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect mom or dad. That is not what your child needs to succeed. Yes, lay the firm foundation that you can, parents that love each other, but understand that even if up to this point you feel like you haven't been as present as you want to be as a parent or you haven't sought out a relationship as much with your kid, like it's never too late. Your kid is 16, 17. They're still under your roof. You don't know the redemption and the reconciliation, the restoration that can come from dedicating right now to spending that time with your child and giving that relationship to the Lord. Um, So I'm just, I'm very thankful for that. Can you close us out? A lot of people are very discouraged about the, 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 the state of the world right now when we really mm-hmm. think America is just like going down the tubes, but you are very optimistic. You're, I always call you when I feel like, oh, things are just falling apart. Things are never going to get better. Give us some, give us some optimism. Give us some hope for the state of the country, what we as families, as parents, moms and dads can be doing and look forward to as everything seems to be chaos and falling apart around us. Well, the first thing I would encourage everybody to do is when they get home or wherever they listen to this, go and read Daniel 2, 21 and 22 and write that down and put it on your refrigerator. Because at the end of the day, that's what gives us hope. However, it doesn't happen without the work that comes along that we're supposed to do. And I believe at, at the core, at the core of most people, I, when, and, you know, Al, you know, in our business, I had we had clients in all 50 states. I mean, I grew up in a very protected, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line, basically between Louisiana and Arkansas, and then as a young adult to Texas. And so I had a very closed view of whatever that world produces. But what I learned in my 20s when I began traveling all over the country in our business is there were good people everywhere. And I still believe in the goodness of people. And I certainly believe in the goodness of America. We do go through these cycles where things go up and things go down. Some last longer than we want them to be. Or if we happen to be the one that's impacted by it, it certainly feels a lot worse. And I understand that. Uh, And the last big uh, downturn in 2008, which actually worked out to be a really good thing long term, uh, I had to terminate and lay some people off from our company. And that was hard to do. These people had families. They, you know, they, uh, you know, they needed the job. Uh, but it was just the decision that had to be made at the time. And ultimately, uh, you know, I'm firmly convinced it was the right decision, not only for us, but for them as well. I've kept up with most of them over the years and they've, they've done really, really well. And we helped them uh, where we could as far as uh, getting other employment and stuff like that. But I think what you have to understand is that this is not normal. First of all, there's nothing new under the sun. And second of all, there's nothing new that's going on right now that we haven't already been through in America um, the, the, if you go back and read the newspapers and everything that were going on back in the early, uh, uh, formation of the country and beyond, there's always something that is pushing against the norm. Now what's happened for a lot of years, and this is something that we have to stop because I believe the Lord will allow it to continue to happen. If his people aren't willing to stand up and stop it is we have to be more vocal about stopping things that aren't right. Doesn't mean we we have to do it in a way that's hateful or mean or violent or anything, but we cannot allow what happened in our school system over the last 50 years to happen again. You know, the reason that the things went on in the school system like they did, yeah, people that don't think like us and don't believe like us, you know, did the did the uh, actions to 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 maybe uh, put those uh, books in the library or teaching some of the things they thought? But the reason it happened is because we allowed it to happen, because we as conservatives and quote unquote good Americans 
dropped our kids off at the local public school and never never spent a, a, uh, any time there other than on the sports field or maybe watching a play. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that that one thing that COVID's done is put a stop to that. And I am so excited about moms and dads all over America getting involved in where their kids spend the majority of their time during their learning years. Yeah. And there's where we have to go. That's what can stop that. That's why I have hope is because I see a a turning point in middle of America that says enough is enough. Now, will we still have social issues and problems? Yes, we will. And but I'll tell you what, as strong as the people that want to march for pro-abortion, we need to be marching for life. Mm-hmm. We cannot let them have the stage uh, that that they are gaining. We have to push back as hard and harder than we ever have before, uh, because in this issue, we're these issues that we're talking about today, we are absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think that there are a lot more people that are riled up than ever have been. There are people raising a respectful ruckus, as we like to say. And I agree. People think, well, that's not doing anything. Talking about the issues isn't doing anything. It does. It does. It can, For just one example, and I know we have to go, but like the Biden administration creating this disinformation board, which basically was just going to try to censor you know, dissent uh, opinions that they don't like. I mean, that was very dystopian and very scary. Well, guess what stopped that from happening, at least for now? People talking about it. We exposed it. People blew a lid off of it. They didn't like that. Sunlight is a great disinfectant. So actually, the parents going to school boards and saying, this is what is in the book. This is what's in the curriculum. That makes a difference. Talking about it actually does make a difference. So, um, Can I say one last thing? Yeah. Can I say one last thing? You know, we talked about this is coming out sometime around Father's Day, I would guess. Yeah, um, Thursday. The and we talk about what responsibilities dads have, and it's a huge one. And, and we and, and but also want your audience to know that sometimes we think because a dad goes off to work, does his job, you know, maybe he's good at his job, probably is good at his job, that that he gets all that encouragement and fulfillment out there and he doesn't need it when he gets home and there couldn't be anything further from the truth. You know, I, I've, I've been able to do a lot of things that, 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 uh, made me feel good, but I'll tell you, there's nothing, nothing that makes you feel better as a dad than your kids believing in you and affirming that and your spouse believing in you and affirming that. And, the the lack of that happening to dads and husbands is just really, really pathetic. You know, every commercial, every TV show makes fun of the dad. Mm. You never see much encouragement going towards the dad. And, yeah, the dad's got huge responsibilities and he needs to live up to those. But you know what? His emotions are the same as everybody's. He He, he wants to be loved and he wants that love to be shown. Um, by the people that he cares about the most. Because I knew that if I had Lisa on my side, that no matter what, no matter what happened, it didn't matter. We were yeah. moving down the road. And um, she was always very, very good about that. So I just encourage you moms and kids to to be encouraging to your dad and your husband. That's very, very important. Mm-hmm. You're on the same team. I know sometimes when especially when the babies are little, things are chaos and the baby's waking up multiple times a night, you're tired. It's easy to think that you're on competing teams. It's easy to say, well, I did this or I did this or I'm doing more than you. But I try to remember myself because I remember someone told me this and I try to tell other people, you're on the same team. You've got the same goal. The ball should be going the same direction, which means that you are encouraging one another, not competing with with one another. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for taking the time to come on. And when your book comes out, which it will soon, then we'll have you back on in the studio and we'll talk about that more. All right. Thanks. See you later. Thanks. Bye.